Hey everybody, this is Pierre Quinn and you're listening to episode number 114 of the Leading While Green podcast where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Julian Hayes the second, the founder of The Art of Fitness and Life. And Julian helps business leaders and entrepreneurs optimize their health, energy, and personal performance with precision by leveraging their genetics. Now, before we jump into the conversation with Julian, I want to invite you to the Next Step Summit. That's right, the Next Step Summit on April 30th, beginning at 4 p.m. Eastern time, we've assembled an incredible roster of speakers. We're talking about uh, consultants to Fortune 500 companies. We're talking about people with military experience. We're talking about authors and creatives and social media experts. And the focus of the Next Step Summit is to help leaders, creatives, and entrepreneurs find the tools to taking the next step in uncertain times. So you want to join us for that. I mean, this is a free event and we're just going to pour into you as leaders, as entrepreneurs, as creatives, as people who are around others who are looking to them. People are looking to you for clarity and insight and direction and a plan. So we put this summit together for you to give you to give you the tools that you need to take the next step and define what that next step looks like for you. So April 30th, beginning at 4 p.m. Eastern time, the next step summit. And you can register for free, register for free at nextstepsummit.online. And I'll put that information in the show notes so you don't miss it. Now, Julian Hayes has been featured in Inc. Magazine, The Huffington Post, Business Insider, Entrepreneur Magazine, Chief Executive, Elite Daily, Chicago Tribune, and other media outlets. And in our conversation, we talked about how Julian really disappointed his friends and family when he dropped out of medical school. He, he talks about the dangers that that leaders and entrepreneurs live in under by really focusing on their business and their company, but not focusing on their physical health. And we also talk about how energy levels, how having the right mental energy and physical in energy plays a significant part in being able to perform at peak levels. We, ha we have a great conversation. Julian is super open about his life and his journey, and I know you're going to appreciate it. So here's my conversation with Julian Hayes. But on this episode of the Leading Well Grain podcast by Julian Hayes II. Julian, thanks for being my guest today. Hey, Pierre, man. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm looking forward to this. So, so, so take us back. How did you get to the place where you really became interested in human performance? Yeah, so it starts way back. Um, probably my teenager years. So I come from, uh, I'm from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And I come from a family that's not that healthy, nor, nor really had that kind of information. So for me, uh, generally, when I saw people getting around the age of 30, I started to see they decline already. And so I kind of thought that was going to be my destiny. I thought that was just life. And I, I talked with an older gentleman once who we were playing basketball. That's what I played in high school. And I, I, I couldn't even tell his age because he was running so good with us. I knew he was much older than us, but he was running so good. He was jump roping and, and all this. And I talked to him. I was like, man, like, what's your, what's like, what's your secret or something? He's just like, um, you know, age is irrelevant. Um, it's really how you talk to yourself, 
how you treat yourself and what you put in your body. And, you know, that little seed right there stuck with me. And just throughout the course of time, I started to transform my own health. Um, I even wanted to be a doctor. So I went to medical school for a year. And, you know, during that time, you know, I stumbled upon an even bigger dream to, to leave school and to kind of do what I'm doing right now. So it's just that little seed and it just started to grow and grow and grow throughout the last, you know, 10 plus years. Wait, 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 wait. Um, leaving medical school. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did the people around you respond? Um, <laughs> like that whole, cause I, we probably got some medical students listening to this right now, like, <laughs> or doctors say, this guy's got to be crazy. Like what, what led up to that? Yeah. So, um, I, man, when I, so I went to, I was in New York and so I'm from Nashville and back in Nashville, I've always been like the oddball, you know, I've the dreamer and just like an outcast. But when I got to New York, that was my first time living in that kind of urban environment. And I quickly realized that there's some people that are quote unquote, a lot crazier than me out there. <laughs> and it, coffee shops I went to, everybody was pursuing a dream. Somebody, you know, they're writing a script. They're trying to be an actor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting at the, I remember this one place in the Lower East Side. I was talking to this girl and she was just traveling around, you know, working. And she, she just was, I noticed that she was combining like her passion, her interest with a lifestyle that she wanted. And I've always been interested. I love the scientist and health aspect, but I didn't necessarily love being a doctor. Um, I was interested in that, but I didn't love it. And some of my best friends during that time, I really learned that by um, how passionate they were in becoming a doctor. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was more interested in just the subject, the subject matter and kind of what I could do with it. So I thought, you know, um, to not go back that summer and, to pursue this passion of writing in combination of um, still u- utilizing this health and, and coaching others with it too. So I get the best of both worlds now, but everyone's reaction was, are you crazy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I never told anyone that I like, I wanted to write or any of that stuff or that I, I didn't really tell people a lot of my dreams. I just kind of followed the status quo and stayed in line. So it's expected that people thought I was crazy because all of a sudden I'm breaking a pattern that people have known me for 20 plus years. Now it's, it's interesting just, just looking at what you've been featured in Inc magazine, Huffington Post, business insider, entrepreneur, chief executive, Chicago Tribune. It, when, when those things started happening and, and however long it t- took for you to get there, did you find people come back around and say, okay, we see how this is working out or, or did you still find that people were like, yeah, but you could have done that and still been a doctor at the same time. Yeah. I think people came back around. I know with family, a lot of times we might think that they're not supporting us, but I just think that they don't see the worldview. It's just a different worldview. You know, I'm, I'm first generation and it's, it's, it's just a different world. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to comprehend you're working you're you're on a laptop most of the time and you're and you just talk to people yeah. or, or you're just writing so you know they're used to going out working and then 
having something to show for that day's work. So I understood with family. Friends was a little different. And I think with friends, sometimes it was about the perception. Mm. You know, I think it was a perception a lot of times is that, you know, how people view doctors, you know, and, 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 and like, who are you to, to do this, what you're doing? But uh, over time, it, it has come back around. And I think people now, I, I generally don't have anyone that's like, oh, man, I bet you regret that now. Hmm. You know, so. So, so at, at what point did you say, uh, was it medical school or beyond, that you wanted to turn this uh, going from an interest into how our bodies worked and performance and, and perspectives about performance? Did you said, I want to turn this into like a business? I want clients. I want. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it it moved from like a hobby or something that you could get paid or find a job doing to creating, you know, creating a, a job mm-hmm. platform for yourself. How did you make that transition? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always had an interest in it because I, I worked at a gym in college. So in, in addition, I, in, instead of like the typical party life, I was usually reading, listening to music to apply it to myself. And then it was a way for me to make money. And, um, during that time in college, I um, or medical school now, when I had the idea that maybe this is not what I wanted to do, I I guess it's the universe or something. I I was online and I just saw different magazines of people writing articles and everything, and I looked them up to see what they're doing, and they had a business also with it. So I was like, oh okay, I guess I can do that. Now I have no idea how to do a lot of it. You know, and, and so I, I definitely, it definitely was not smooth sailing. I, you know, I, at, at, right when I left school, I got a job at the gym. I went back to work at a gym, getting paid very little as a trainer. Uh, and that's when I had a lot of naysayers because, you know, now I just accumulated not only a year's worth of medical school debt. I, you know, I accumulated another, ma- I have a master's, so I have a, another degree on the wall. And then you're working. I think I'm getting seven 30 or 7.55 for 30 minutes of training session because the gym gets the rest. Yeah. So this is before I was on my own. And so, you know, it's life changes very quickly over a year. And so, <laughs> you know, and, and so during that point, I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't have all the steps necessarily, but I knew this is what I'm going to do. Over the years, it has evolved big time in terms of the people I work with, my philosophies on health and and human performance and everything. It has continually evolved because I try to make it a goal to evolve like at least every six months to, to be a different person. So let's talk about your evolution a little bit. You know, you seven bucks, eight bucks an hour as a trainer mm-hmm. in a gym to now give us, give us, you know, some, some perspective on like the scope of your reach now, besides being featured in major, major publications and having a national voice uh, how have you evolved from that $8 an hour trainer at the gym to, to working with the level of clients and organizations you work with today? Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. Now I, I'll get paid upwards of five figures to work with someone um, on a one-on-one basis um, with, in terms of writing, sometimes I get paid for writing and sometimes I don't, it just depends. I, I use writing more as exposure and to kind of say, Hello, I'm 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 around because I'm a I'm a kind of a shy guy. 
And so talking on video and even this podcast, this is still a little new to me Mm -hmm. uh, than what I'm comfortable with. And so that's what the writing was for. But my first writing gig was I walked into the local newspaper in Nashville and I researched it a little bit beforehand so I could know what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, when the moment gets there and my palms are getting sweaty, I forget everything. So, <laughs> so I ended up freestyling anyway, but it was good. It was with good intention. And so that was my first opportunity to write for the newspaper, the Tennessee in here. And from there, I, I, I sought out a mentor who I saw was getting in these different um, publications. Mm-hmm. And so I, he taught me, he helped me to learn how to write because I was very academic in my speaking. I always use just big words and no, no one wants to hear those words. You're not talking to other doctors and health coaches and everything. So he really helped me take my knowledge and write it for an audience. So I really thank him for that. And over time, I just pitch, I just reach out to people. Um, I really take time to reach out to people. I research them and sometimes it's not a good fit you know, but, um, you just, you just keep doing it. And so it, it, um, I had, I had a lot of rejections in terms of, um, in terms of the writing and even, um, transitioning to my work that I do now one-on-one, it was kind of a work in progress because when I first started, I was always focused on the physical. That's it. Mm. All I cared about was just the physical. Everyone is going to get in shape. Every, you know, everyone's training like an athlete. And so now I'm a lot more holistic and um, there's a bigger picture at, at, at stake now because not everyone sees health necessarily from a point of just, I want to do this so I can just be the buffest, ripped, rippedest person. You know, a lot of people are doing this for their family or they're doing this for their work and their cognition and et cetera, and et cetera. So, so, so it, I think that's a good segue give us give us a framework on uh, what your mission is with the art of fitness and life you know what's what's kind of the paradigm in which you work from you said you're more holistic now if you were giving us like that we saw you in an elevator and you had to give us that 30 second spiel on what you do how how would you set that up for us yeah i uh, my mission is simply to help you become your most enhanced version of yourself to truly live an optimized and limitless life. Um, human potential is limitless. Um, now the ways that you do that is, you know, I utilize something, I utilize genomics, which is genetics and epigenetics. It's, it's your DNA um, technology and what I call systems thinking. Now it's, it's, it's so cool, you know, hearing about it. Um, mm-hmm. It, it, was there ever a point where you felt like you had to, uh, and, you, and you say you used to speak a lot academic, write a lot academically. Uh-huh. Was there a point where you ever felt like you had to uh, almost like try to prove something to either, either the medical world or people you knew while you were in school, like trying to prove yourself through uh, what you were doing and kind of, you know, falling into that trap? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That that's my ego. That is my ego. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I think we all have, a, and I call this part of the dark side and I think we all have it. And I think it's beneficial at times under the right circumstances under control because it drives us. It makes us work hard. But sometimes when it's not 
when you don't have it right in its reins, you can actually be doing more harm than good. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I, I've, I definitely have that. And even to this day, sometimes I still, I still think about that because, yeah. you know, I have this vision of where I want to go and I'm still so far away. And so I'm like, man, I've been out, you know, for five or six years now. And, and I'm like, you know, so you have those thoughts. I'm wondering, man, I could have been a residency, could have had a, this and that and that. And so I think that's a normal part of human nature. Well, how do you work with your clients to, to mitigate that normal part of human nature that says, mm-hmm. you know, they've started working with you or you're on a discovery call and they start to go down that role of kind of rehearsing the dark side of things. You know, I'm not where I want to be, or I've tried 20 diets and none of them work. And I don't even know why I'm talking to you. I don't even know if this is going to work. How do you, how do you help them, you know, move past as part of your training paradigm, sort mm-hmm. of that dark side, that negative self-talk that could, can come up? Yeah. So I, I do like for them to get it all out. So I'll, I'll, I'll allow them like a, like a get out of jail free card, like you play Monopoly. So yeah, yeah. get all that out. So you get all that out. And then there's a simple, you know, philosophy that I have is, is that you focus on possibilities, not problems. Hmm. And so I don't, you know, a lot of times people, and I guess I've, I've I had a friend recently. He said, I, I, I'm pre-diabetic. And I was like, you're not that, that's a label. And that's just a situation, but you're not that. And so it's, it's all about the precision of language that you use things. It's a mere situation. And I learned to call things situations from when uh, Tim Grover, who's Michael Jordan's trainer, mm-hmm. you know, they call things situations, not problems. And sometimes, and if, and if they don't like that, then I was like, great, you should love problems because as a high performer, this is a sign. This is an opportunity for you to grow, to become even better. And so we look at that, but then, you know, on, on a more practical level, we get everything down on paper. We see how everything is. So we want it all laid out. What's your, what do your labs look like and everything? So we can start to measure this. And, you know, on the mental side of things, I, I have, I have myself and I encourage others to make what I call a scouting report of mm-hmm. yourself, mm-hmm. you know? So some questions, what does success mean to you? What does healthy mean to you? You know, uh, 12 years, 13 months from now, what does your healthy energy look like to you? Now, not what you think other people want it to look like for you, because my definition is going to be different from yours. What does failure mean to you? You know, what's your vision? What's your anti-vision? So little questions like that to get your framework, because the reason why I do that is because then on some of those days where you're not feeling it or you're a little down, you can pull out this report and you can look at it to kind of remind yourself and reinvigor yourself of who you're becoming or where you're going. Because to me, a goal is not something that you go to and get to a goal is something that you come from. Mm-hmm. So we established the end game and then we become the identity that is congruent with that end game. You, you, you mentioned, you know, this idea of calling things situations and I'm, I'm referencing uh, article that you wrote as what you read a book from from Colin Powell this quote you know it ain't as bad as you think uh, it'll look better in the morning uh, why, why did you just grab what a part about that perspective from Colin Powell really embraced you and you kept as a thread because I 
I, a lot of times, here's a secret with people who write a lot, a lot of times they're writing to themselves mm. or they're writing advice that they need to hear themselves. So I was talking to myself, really. I, um, I, I tend to catastrophize things sometimes and I know I should. And so it's good to have reminders. And so that reminder was there. I randomly had the audio book and I decided to check it out because I didn't really know that much about him, but he's accomplished a lot. And when I heard that, I was like, mm, I like that. I really like that. And it came at the perfect time, right? When I was catastrophizing about something. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that because a lot of times we think when we make mistakes or we have setbacks or something didn't go as we like it, or we made a teammate angry, or we made some mistake with our team. A lot of times we tend to think that it's not reversible or, it, you know, we can't fix it. And mostly everything in life can be reversed and fixed, you know, besides, besides um, dying. Other than that, we can most likely mitigate the situation. And so it's always good to, to sleep on it and have a fresh set of eyes, a fresh set of um, thinking for the day. Because as the day goes along, a lot of times the quality of our thinking is going to, to decline as well. Yeah. Yeah, we we that decision fatigue from uh, making so many decisions throughout the day creeps up creeps up to us. Um, but but how do top performers? Uh, what are some other ways that they wrestle with that? Because you you talk about this, you know, how to think like a top performer. Mm-hmm. How that's not just applicable in the the personal training and fitness space, but these things are also applicable to the business space as well. And we kind of cross and pull ideas back and forth, but what can we learn from top performers or peak athletes? Um, yeah. So if, what, you know, a lot of times what I've noticed is that if there is a problem, they take care of it now, hmm. right in there, or if they don't, then it, it's obviously not a big enough a problem and they leave it alone. Because the worst thing to do is just have these nagging issues and problems just hanging over you. And I call it not settling the conflict. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to bed at night, these things come up. And that affects your sleep. And now the next day, you're cranky because you're not sleeping. So it's to settle the conflicts. Um, they have anchors to their day, the morning and night. I, I, I like to think that, you know, that's... 90 minutes. I like 90 minutes, the first 90 minutes and the last 90 minutes to really optimize that and to get yourself ready for a good day and to get yourself ready for a good sleep. So you can have a good day on the next one. Hmm. What have you learned about, you know, coaching and training, uh, somebody who has been successful? Mm-hmm. Like you, you run across you a five figure client. That person has to have some modicum of success to be able to afford the level. Oh, yeah. Do how do you? Yeah, how do you get to that? I, so I, a lot of that, you know, um, that was there's a very good book I read specifically on this situation mm-hmm. because I, I struggled also when I'm going to talk at um, I was going to talk to a, a company or organization because. Um, um, I like dressing up a little more now, but you know, these people are in suits They're yeah. they, they got the mature look, you know, and you know, it's intimidating mm-hmm. because to me, I'm like an adolescent at this still I'm an adolescent. <laughs> and so I, I read a book, it's called, um, getting, um, naked by Patrick Lencioni. 
Yeah. And it's very, very good book. Love that book. I emailed him and everything. I was like, thank you. That helped me. Mm. And, but going back to that question, I had to realize I'm not in this situation right now to tell them how to run their company. Mm. And I'm not in this situation right now to, to do really anything business. I'm in here for their health and performance, but also I, I did a little mental alchemy as I call it. And I realized that my maybe lack of years compared to what they've had is actually an advantage because maybe I can see some different holes, some different opportunities that they haven't seen because I come from a completely different background than them. And so, um, and so that's, that's usually been my, my thing there. And also just following the principles in, in that book and realizing that um, a lot of times if you start to, I notice for me, if I start to really feel these feelings of imposture, then I'm focusing too much on myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so and, and I'm focusing way too much on myself and I'm not in a serve, I'm not serving them really. So then I, I feel, then I should feel like an imposter because I'm taking their money and focus it on myself still. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, so those kind of situations kind of um, have really helped me um, kind of give a reality check. But the funny thing is, I always, I still feel some butterflies and I think that's a good sign because that means you're invested, you're excited about it. So, uh, you know, even jumping on this call that we're doing right now, there was a little butterflies, you know, for the last 30 minutes before I got on, I was a little nervous, you know, and I think that's human nature and that's good because that, that makes you alive and that, you know, that it's going to make you focus more. Mm-hmm. There, there, there are times when, when I have those same experiences or resonate with those experiences. I'm going to give a talk or work with a client and I have those kind of butterflies. Um, but I used to I used to tell my students, my public speaking students, is that when you get butterflies, it's it's really your body's way of of signaling you that you got you have the energy now to do a good job. What yeah. what's the importance of learning how uh, if we want to be better, how to manage uh, just how to get more energy out of us and then how to better manage our energy uh, when we need it. Yeah. You know, something that you can easily do is to have some sort of med- meditative practice. Um, for some people, this could be praying for others. It can be chanting, but some way to calm your mind and to give your mind a break. You know, uh, you know, we have our phones now, we have our computer screens, we have TVs, we have billboards everywhere. We're constantly stimulated. And so the best thing to do for yourself is to find some time for solitude to really allow your mind to rest. Um, I, I have it in my book for daily solitude to where it's just me time to just let my mind wander and see and check in with myself. So that's it. That's an easy thing right there. Um, obviously sleep is an important one. Um, I would probably say that's the, that's the biggest pillar is sleep. Um, and that's something that I wouldn't have thought of probably five, six years ago before I learned more. Um, I would have probably told you to work out intense every day and, and watch your nutrition. But I, these days, I, I think it starts with sleep. It really starts with sleep because, um, an easy example here is that there's think of two parts in your brain. We have our amygdala and we have our prefrontal cortex. Um, your amygdala, think of emotions, memory, prefrontal cortex, think of logic, reasoning, willpower, and 
I forgot where I saw the study at. Maybe, yeah, I forgot the name of the study I saw, but um, they sh- looked at the sleep-deprived individuals and they saw that their brainwave activity heightened up on the amygdala side and lowered on the prefrontal cortex. So if you think about that, your emotions are through the roof and increasing and your reasoning is going down and think about how that affects relationships. Think about how that affects your relationships with your team and think about how that affects when you're going with your business. So maybe you see, get an email or a proposal falls through and you take it a lot harder or you make a rash decision because, you know, all because your brain chemistry is a little off. That's, that's good. That's good. So let's push back. What do you do with the, how do you deal with the people who say, okay, I hear you, Julian, but you know, in order for me to make this work, um, I got to work, I got to work 80 hours, 90 hours, or, you know, I come from the perspective of, you know, I sleep when I'm finished or I don't have time to sleep mm-hmm. because I got to <clears throat> grind and get my goals together. How do you push back when people, when people come to you with that? response? Yeah. Um, it depends on the personality of the person. Hmm. If they're, um, if they can take it a little bit, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll ask them, how's that working for you? Hmm. You know, how's your relationships? How's your health? What do your lab, what does your lab numbers look like? Wow. And if they have a, if they have a wearable device, you know, what is your, like, we can look at your heart rate. We can look at your HRV. So let's, what's the data say? And so that's why I utilize a lot of data hmm. because the data doesn't have emotion. Data is, data is just data. So that's one of my main allies is data in, in that situation. But for um, if you don't have data, I would challenge them to assess how they're doing their business right now. And a lot of times, you know, what I've saw is that someone's working 90 hours. I'm not sure that those 90 hours are efficient. You know, so I will look at their day and see how they're using those 90 hours and see where we can be more effective at. What can you outsource? What can you delegate? What can you batch together? Um, what's your transitioning is looking like? So when you're going from writing to some other activity to some other activity that are not related, you know, that transition time is going to be more because you're, you're using different parts of your brain. So maybe we can organize tests that are more aligned and using the same parts of your brain together. At at what point did you embrace this idea of the integration of data? Because, you know, hearing this from you and I've had conversations with trainers or people who are into health and Mm -hmm. not a lot of them bring up the topics of looking at certain metrics and integrating that into a, a training program or a paradigm like you do. Does that come from medical school or does it come from? I, how, did, how did that happen? Yeah. One of my, one of my goals is to, I want to be the dumbest person in the room. Mm. I never want to be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> and so I, I am blessed enough to know some really smart people, you know, researchers that are, you know, this is what they do is research. They don't necessarily work with people, but they do the research. And so, and I get to cherry pick and kind of learn from them. But yeah, so I surround myself with people and I had an interest myself because I think the way we think about aging, I think it's, I think it's a farce. I I think it's, uh, it's totally misguided. 
um, I, I think, or like I said at the beginning, we're leaving a lot of human potential out. And so I really want to redefine and be part of the solution to redefining not only health span, but lifespan, because there's no point in being 150 if you can't move or anything. So those two have to go together. And so that's kind of been like my thinking. And so I find people who are in that world and thinking that way. And I take what makes sense. And then I try it on myself. Mm. And then, um, and you know, and, and then I use it on other people. And then also they're kind of doing those things as well with, with people as well. So um, because technology is wonderful and, you know, using data is wonderful. If you use it in the right way, it can be a, a tool and asset. And so, um, so that was kind of my, my reasoning for it. And so it's, it's, it's going to come along a lot. It's going to be more in people's eyes. I think in the coming years that you're going to hear a lot more about this because, you know, there's things now where you can, you can see how old someone is biologically. So they might be, I had a friend, he's 55, but biologically it's saying he's 43, mm. you know? So, and so that's a way to measure if what you're doing is working you know, that goes beyond just how I feel. It's good to how I feel, but a lot of times with type A people, they need some evidence. Yeah. They need to like prove it to me. Let me prove it. You know, so that's why like the more data, the better. The labs, the um, genetic reports and the wearables and everything, the more data, the better. Just because I'm optimistic, but I'm a skeptic also. So I, I, I have the similar worldview as they do. So you talked about your friend biological age versus chronological age. What, what are some of the, the the factors? And I I really want my my younger leaders to pay attention as you explain this. What are the factors? And I'm guessing sleep may be one because you've referenced sleep like three times. Um, yeah. Go into sort of this creating a disparity between mm-hmm. how old you are chronologically and then how old your body appears uh, from a data perspective. Yeah. So the funny, and the thing is that guy I talked about that put the seed in my head, he's a prime example of that because he at least was, he had to at least be 45 or 50 at that point. Mm -hmm. And I was, I think 15 or 16 and he wasn't outrunning me. I wasn't going to let that happen, but, (laughs) but he was running, he was running, he was outrunning a lot of other, other, other kids my age. Mm-hmm. you know and so that's a prime example of what that means is that age is just a number given to you and how you take care of yourself but getting into some some things that we can that um that affects you the cool thing is that we're all we're all the same like 99 percent of the way 99.9 percent but that point one we're a little different and you know that's the beautiful thing and we'll get this one out of the way so we have sleep that's an obvious one. Sleep is going to be important. Um, there's not a certain number because, you know, we're all different. Uh, generally, I've seen most people fall into the seven to eight and a half, nine hour range. Most people, there's this 1%, one or 2% of people out there, they have a special gene and they can get by on six hours, which I'm jealous of because that's more time that they can do stuff. I'm not one of those people. Um, next is exercising and exercising is not, it's not as much as you think. It's not, you don't really have to do marathon sessions. Um, you can generally get by 20 to 30 minutes of some focused exercising, um, going for walks, daily steps, 
um, I, that's an easy goal to get. And the walking also helps your creative output. Um, people like Steve Jobs, um, Beethoven, I like classical music, <laughs> uh, Sigmund Freud, uh, Nietzsche, they've all, uh, Darwin, they all took their daily walks every day to really help their creative output. So um, that's, that's um, one thing's there. And nutrition-wise, nutrition-wise is, nutrition is across the board because we're all going to be different here. And, but generally, it's, of course, leaving out the processed foods, the processed sugars. That, you know, that's an easy one. And it's, it's eating more foods that our great-grandmothers would recognize yeah. and know what it is. They would know what that is. Like, okay, that's a tomato. Okay, I know what this is. So it, it's, and that's a that's a baseline. You can get you get you can get a lot more specific, but everyone's different. But it's, um, I would say everyone's use olive oil a lot more, o- olive oil, um, and hydration. It's something easily overlooked, but that's that's one as well. And stress uh, management. The goal is not to get rid of stress because stress is beneficial but it's to mitigate it and and keep it under your control according to kind of what's ideal for you and your circumstances and you know that's kind of like that's kind of like the baseline and then everyone's situation is going to be different and you can kind of and you kind of measure it that way seeing where people come from you know different ethnicities have different um issues um different default issues and and everything. So it's really cool. You know, so for me, like one reason I got in with data and and more of the genetic stuff as well is because, you know, I noticed everyone in my family, uh, a lot of them ended up on dialysis, kidney issues, blood sugar issues. And we have very few instances of like neurological issues. Hmm. And then I noticed some of my other friends and they have a few people with Alzheimer's, but Southern, they don't. And so that can't be random. So we have to have a probability that, that we're, we have a higher probability for this thing compared to other person. And so it doesn't mean you're going to get it. It just means you have a higher probability for it. And so therefore you can tailor some daily decisions and the way you eat to help mitigate that. And so that's kind of like the, my vision for the world. And I do think that that kind of thinking will come in, I think the medical world soon if I'm being a fortune teller, but I, I think this is kind of a side tangent. I think sometimes in the medical community, I don't think they get to see their patients as long as they probably want to. Cause usually it's like 15 to 20 minutes, I think. And yeah. so I, I think it's, that's why it's, it's kind of like a, it's, it takes a group effort. I think. Speaking of group effort, what, where, before we run out of time, an experience that you had working with a client and, it was a group effort. It was you and the client and even their community were at the, at, at a stage in the process, you took a step back and said, yeah, like this is, this is why I do this. I've seen the result. I've seen the turnaround. This oh man. Uh, what we're doing. So I think about one of my early clients and I forget the f- foot condition she had, but it's, she, she's not able to run to really squat a lot. She was born with like a, a some kind of foot condition. And I remember her first words to me, which scared, it scared me. She was like, all right, you're my last option. Um, 
I have tried other people and it didn't work. So if it doesn't work this time, then we are not, I'm just going to give up. And I was like, Oh, okay. This is a, this is a first. Yeah. And so, and you know, this really challenged me because there's a lot of things that we couldn't do that I, that I like to do. And so it really made me think, and she was exercising a lot. Mm -hmm. So, but wasn't losing any weight. And, um, just in general was like being stressed out from work too. I think she worked for one of the big four accounting firms and it was busy season. And I, I, I told her I didn't let her exercise, but besides like, I think two times a week initially. And I took her off any sort of diet. I wanted her to eat because my suspicion and she was a female is that she chronically exercised a lot and she didn't eat as much and she had this very stressful job that wasn't getting a lot of sleep as well. And so hormonally I had suspicions that that was, that was a little off there. And what I found out later is that she, she kind of had some eating disorders and her, her friend told me, she's like, thank you. She came up to me and she's like, you're Julian. And she was like, I just want to thank you. Like my, I've never seen her, you know, months later, I've never seen her so happy. And like, when we go out to eat, she's just a lot more calm and everything. So I, I just thank you for helping, helping that. And I was, and that really, um, that, that was one of the moments where I thought, okay, there's a lot more to this mindset and emotional world that I need to learn about. And instead of just thinking, eat this amount of protein, eat this amount of carbs, exercise this much. I'm like, most people that are very ambitious or they're a high performer activity in general, getting them off the couch is not the problem. A lot of times it's the mental, it's the mental, it's the incessant chatter that goes on in their head. That's what we have to control. That's what we have to start first because you can have all the tools in the world, but if you don't have the right mental setup, the right environment set up for you, it's going to, it's going to, the effort's going to be doomed. And that's where I, that, that was really one of the moments where there's a bigger picture and that's kind of where the systems thinking came into play. Like engineers talk about, you know, everything's interrelated. It's not just separate. Wow, man. Oh, man. I know we could continue to go on uh, <laughs> just kind of sharing the perspective because that, that mentality piece is a big, it's big for peak performing athletes. It's big in the business world. It's, it's, it's big all over. So if we want to keep up, we want to dig more into your, your, your business and your, your training paradigms and what you share. What are the ways that we can, can catch up with you? I call this shameless plug time. Give me all the, yeah. links, all the URLs. Give me everything. <laughs> yeah. So um, you can just go to my home base, the art of fitness and And there you'll see uh, soon. I'll have a podcast also. Uh, I'm thinking the name's going to be optimal health for busy entrepreneurs. And so even if you're not an entrepreneur, I would like to challenge you and say that you are an entrepreneur of your own life. Mm. And so, um, as a podcast for that, where we're kind of talking about this, I'm talking, I'm meshing health with the dark sides of success, as I call it, along with um, a little science and stuff that I do as well. So, um, looking forward to that and I'm on LinkedIn as well. And the other platforms I don't really use as well. I'm, I'm probably an oddball. I'm just 
really learning how to use social media now. But so yeah, so those places will be good. And um, feel free to um, email me with any questions you have or anything. I'd love to help. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes so people can can reach out to you. My guest has been Julian Hayes and his work is at the Art of Fitness and Life. Julian, thanks for being my guest today. Thank you much, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. Great conversation with Julian Hayes II about his journey and his work with the Art of Fitness and Life. And one of the things that I really liked about the conversation, in addition to Julian's transparency, was his willingness to go after something, to be committed to it, to work until it turned into what he was hoping and believing and knowing what it could be all along. And Julian is an expert now in his field and an influencer as it relates to health, energy, and personal performance. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Hey, don't forget to check out the Next Step Summit at nextstepsummit.online on April 30th. That's all I got for this episode of the Leading Wild Green Podcast. You know it's my mission to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. So until next time, take care and God bless.